All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I'm excited to do a little bit of reaction today as we are now discussing this 9-10 game that happened tonight between the Oklahoma City Thunder and New Orleans Pelicans. I think this is, it's an interesting battle between two teams that are in very similar positions, but like one is just a little bit further along than the other and also has, I think, stronger questions than the other. And unfortunately for the Pelicans, they are the team that has the questions and they are the team that lost tonight. So should be really interesting to see what they do this offseason. I'm going to ask the chat that in uh, the coming minutes. But so, so think about what you would do if you were the Pelicans GM. But I'm very curious as to how people are reacting to this game. Because now if you're the Nuggets, you know who you're going to face. Kind of. You know who you're going to face between two matchups. You're either going to face the Minnesota Timberwolves or the Oklahoma City Thunder. And it's interesting. I think the Thunder are, like, they, they give some strategic issues to Denver with the way that they, they space out and they run spread pick and roll. They put Jokic in a little bit of a tough position. But that involves having a small ball five that... Like has to be able to shoot. And Jalen Williams tonight, Arkansas Jalen Williams, not uh, Santa Clara Jalen Williams on the wing. Uh, Arkansas Jalen Williams couldn't really throw a pee in the ocean from the perimeter tonight. So it's probably not as stressful as when they had Mike Muscala, but they traded him to the Boston Celtics, who's and he's not really playing for Boston right now. So really interesting to see this kind of become the situation for Denver uh, where they could either face the Thunder, who won tonight and I think looked really, really good and deserved that opportunity, or it's going to be the Minnesota Timberwolves, who kind of crumbled under the pressure in clutch time uh, on the road in Crypto Arena, Crypto.com Arena, Staples Center, whatever you want to call it. Uh, when you're facing LeBron James and Anthony Davis and three separate referees and you're in a really hostile environment, I can understand why Minnesota crumbled a little bit. But it doesn't necessarily show uh, great faith for their ability to uh, do great things against the Nuggets. But in general, let's react to Thunder Pelicans first. Second segment, we're going to react to Nuggets practice today. I'm going to dispel some things about the Jamal Murray quote that I shared uh, about the the question that I asked, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are super thrilled about. Uh, and then in the third segment, I'm going to ask the, the Nuggets chat just a few simple questions on on how they view this team. And I think that should shape how everybody really views this championship run for Denver and what they're actually capable of. So first and foremost, let's react to the Thunder vs. Pelicans. This is going to be a really, really interesting time uh, for young teams like this because the Thunder are that upstart team that doesn't have any pressure on them, that has been playing free, playing loose for the entire season. The Pelicans entered the year with expectations, and they didn't meet those expectations. They didn't meet those expectations in this game on their home floor either. I think a lot of people assumed that they'd be able to get through the Thunder with relative ease. But, I mean, you look at the box score, and it's not pretty if you are the Pelicans. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander had 32 points on 22 shots and looked great. Josh Giddy. Also had eleven. Uh, also was eleven of twenty-two and had thirty-one points himself. Had ten assists and nine rebounds. Uh, Arkansas Jalen Williams had eight, eight, and eight, which is pretty funny. Uh, but the key here was Lou Dort, who in his thirty-six minutes had twenty-seven points on fourteen shots. It was just the absolute difference uh, between the two teams, where you had two guys for the OKC Thunder that usually step up in Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Josh Giddy. If it's not Josh Giddy, then it's uh, Santa Clara Jalen Williams. And he didn't play as well today, but that is what it is. Uh, but Lou Dort was the guy who really stepped up. And for the Pelicans, like he just didn't have another guy who stepped up next to Brandon Ingram in the way that they needed to. Uh, Herb Jones had 20 points, which is more than you would expect from him. Trey Murphy had 20, but uh, 21, but they each did it on 16 shots. The efficiency wasn't quite there. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas, I thought, did pretty well, but uh, he's only one guy. Uh, the real killer was CJ McCollum, who for 
like several times now in, in his career has now kind of fallen short. Various times that he did with the Blazers, various times now that he has done with the Pelicans. And this has kind of been CJ's defining trait as the not good enough second option for a team. Uh, it's why the loss of Zion Williamson was a really, really big deal. It's why the loss of uh, just, I mean, if you're if you're the Blazers, it's why when teams would hard double Damian Lillard and actually get some stops there and force CJ McCollum to beat them, it's why most teams were able to win doing that strategy. Denver, back in 2019, lost famously to CJ McCollum, who really stepped up in that regard and had 37 points on Denver's home floor. But that was when Denver was super young. They weren't quite good enough at that point to really be ahead of it. I just, I I don't think that the Pelicans are going to be anything crazy while CJ McCollum is on their, is on their payroll. Like they have to be more than him. They have to be more than Brandon Ingram. I think that they're going to try to shake it up. It would be it would not surprise me if they decided to trade Zion Williamson because that would be uh, crazy. <laughs> like it, it, it would be crazy, but I mean, this is two straight years now that if you're the Pelicans, Zion hasn't been out on the court, and that's a really important factor if you are a team and you are investing in a player to be your franchise. And let's face it, they didn't want Brandon Ingram to be their franchise player. They've always wanted Zion Williamson to be that guy, and and he has been that guy when healthy. There's no doubt about it. They're a good team, and he's a great player when healthy. I just realized that this light is not not there. There we go. Um, But, like, they're going to need more. They're going to need more from their team. I'm very curious to see the direction that they go. I really like Trey Murphy. I really like Herb Jones. You probably can't start both of those guys unless – you have two dynamic superstars with the ball in their hands. And Zion was supposed to be that guy. Brandon Ingram was supposed to be that guy. But it's hard to start. Uh, you Like, you can't really start Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Zion Williamson, Trey Murphy, and Herb Jones. Like, you can only start four of those guys. So they're going to have to shift some things around. And I like Trey Murphy. I think that he should be in their lineup going forward. I like Herb Jones, obviously. But that team's done. That's going to be a really, really fascinating thing for the Pelicans. But the good news for them is that like they've got so many draft picks. They've got so many assets. I think they've got a Lakers pick coming their way that like it's going to be okay for them. They're going to be just fine as long as they uh, get healthy and get out from under some of the bad karma that's been going their way. But should be fascinating. Uh, with the Thunder... Just kind of going back to this, Shea's obviously fantastic. Josh Giddy's obviously fantastic. Having several players that can handle the ball and do a whole bunch of different things with it, create offense for others, uh, create offense for yourselves, take advantage of mismatches. There's no doubt that if you have a mismatch on, on that side of the floor, then the Thunder are going to seek it out. They're going to try to get Shea on that guy. They're going to try to get... Uh, not necessarily Josh Giddy, but there's going to be natural opportunities for a guy like Josh Giddy, who he had CJ McCollum defending him a lot of the night because they have to, ha- if they have CJ McCollum out there, if they have a weak defender out there, it's likely going to go on Josh Giddy as opposed to Shea. Or, and like Dort's still, like, he's going to have a weak defender on him as well, but it's just going to be really interesting to find out. Like, I, I think that if Denver does face this team, then they are going to probably give up a lot of baskets. Like, I don't think that that's a series where Denver's defense looks great, but it might. It very well might. I do think that they're going to try to put Jokic in a really tough position guarding as much as they they possibly can. They will try to put him on an island. They'll try to get him switched out onto various guards. But the one thing about the Thunder is that shooting has really defined how good they can be. Uh, Biggest problem that the Pelicans had today was that they lost the math game. OKC only turned the ball over seven times, despite the fact that they have so many dribble drive guys, that they have so many players that are young, that are inexperienced, that are still learning how to do things. But the fact that they only turned it over seven times is a really, really strong 
indication of how well coached they are and of how good they are at limiting mistakes. They are not going to beat themselves. They may not be talented enough. And like I think you could see that with the shooting splits that they had. They had 45.7, 29.7, 87.5. They got to the line and made 28 free throws. If you're going to give them 28 free throws, that's going to be a really tough prospect. So Denver's going to have to stay out of foul trouble if they face this team. There's no doubt about that. But they also are going to have to be pretty aggressive, and they're going to have to uh, generate as many turnovers as they possibly can. Uh, OKC also grabbed 13 offensive rebounds, despite the fact that they are clearly undersized on the interior, but it was their perimeter guys, and Josh Giddy and Lou Dort, who combined for eight offensive rebounds. So it's a very interesting team. It's a very interesting group, and it's going to be very fascinating to see if they ultimately beat the Timberwolves. But as Casey Mack says, uh, and I think you're you're very, very right on this. You're acting like OKC has already beat the Wolves. They still have a game to play. You're right. You're absolutely right. And the T-Wolves don't exactly feel great. Doesn't exactly feel great what they have done. Um, that's going to be such a fascinating matchup, right? Like on Friday, I'm looking forward to it a lot. T-Wolves going to host the Pelicans. Or not the Pelicans. Oh, I, I edited it incorrectly. Crap. We're going to go. We're going to edit this back. It's going to be fine. T-Wolves are going to host the Thunder. There you go. YouTube audience. Uh, uh, Spreaker and, and the Apple side, they, they have no idea what's going on. But T-Wolves will host the Thunder in a battle for the eighth seed on Friday night. And I'm very curious to see what that matchup looks like. Because if you just take the starting lineups, like obviously Jaden McDaniels isn't out there. But if you just take the starting lineup that the T-Wolves should theoretically have, between uh, Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards, Kyle Anderson at 6'9", uh, Carl Towns at like seven foot, and Rudy Gobert at like 7'1". Like that's a really interesting group. It's a massive, huge physical group. And then you have the Thunder, who have a lot of big guards. Like I think Lou Dort is their shortest guy at 6'3", 6'4"-ish, but he's built like a Mack truck. And then Shea is 6'6", Josh Giddy 6'7", Jalen Williams is 6'6", and they start uh, the other Jalen Williams, big Jalen Williams, who's like 6'9", 6'10", but pretty skinny. So they're going to be bigger on the perimeter, like at the guard spots with Shea going up against Mike Conley. Uh, That's not actually going to be the matchup. I would guess that Mike Conley guards Lou Dort, but that's also not great if you are the T-Wolves, because anytime that Lou Dort really crashes the glass, Mike Conley's going to have a hard time boxing him out, and like, that's going to be a pretty physical time for him. So Anthony Edwards will probably guard Shea. Uh, Kyle Anderson will probably guard Giddy. And how they deal with the bigs between Carl Towns and Jalen Williams and guys like that, that's going to be really fascinating between those two teams. So going to be interesting to see. Going to be interesting to see how, how they make it work. But I do think, and I talked about this with the T-Wolves, I think that Denver, like having seen them on Tuesday night last night, I feel pretty good about Denver's ability to match up with the T-Wolves. I also feel pretty good about Denver's ability to match up with the Thunder because while the Thunder are going to be really good, like they still don't have a matchup for Jokic. It's a little bit different trying to deal with Jonas Valanciunas and trying to deal with Nikola Jokic. You're probably giving up the same number of rebounds, but you're also giving up 30 points on the interior, and 10 assists. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if Denver, or if Jokic in that series averaged, like, I don't know, 30, 16, and 9. Like, it's going to be a really tough time if you are the Thunder. And while Denver will also be scored upon because they are playing a traditional system, because the Thunder can get very creative in the way that they attack mismatches, and I think that Shea will probably go after Jamal, Shea will probably go after MPJ. Uh, They will try to cross-match as much as they can and get people mixed up, and Denver will give up some offensive rebounds, etc. But Denver does have a major size advantage at pretty much every spot except for the point guard spots, and that's going to be like a... It's going to be pretty reasonable to see that Denver can get that dub. Like, 
I think that they will win Jokic's minutes by a lot. Because one of the things that the Thunder do is they try to confuse those bigs that are trying to punish them for their lack of size. Jokic, for all of the... Like, sometimes he'll lack aggression at various moments. He makes up for it in being able to understand exactly what an opposing team does. And he will do that over the course of a series. He will see every single thing that the Thunder try to throw at him, and he'll figure it out. Denver will get a bunch of open shots out of it. I I just don't see this being a troublesome matchup for Denver. Yes, the Thunder will find ways to score on them, but Denver is going to score at will against that team. Going to be really interesting. Going to be really fascinating to see, but we will see what ultimately happens with that game on Friday night. I can see it being the T-Wolves who face the Nuggets. I can see it being the Thunder who face the Nuggets. It just, like, the T-Wolves were a team that didn't rise to the pressure in that moment against the Lakers. The Thunder did. They rose to that pressure. And seeing them be able to do that, really, really interesting, really, really fascinating. And I just think that Shea's probably the best player in that series. Like, in, in between those two teams, Towns does some great things and, and has gone off against the Thunder before. So I don't want to just, like, say that he can't do it. Uh, but I just, I think, I think I have more faith in Shea's ability to do it than I do Carl Towns. But we'll see. We will see what it looks like. But for now, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to go over Nuggets practice from today. Should be fun. But first, this podcast, as you know, is brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. As you know, baseball is back. The Rockies, well, the Rockies aren't, aren't doing quite well just yet, but they had some good moments, and you should definitely try to check out the baseball side of things. And you can bet on baseball with Superbook Sports by making accounts this spring. Superbook Sports is the best wagering app around with a direct line to experienced bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. Plus, get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. Don't let the spring pass you by without winning money with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back with Pickaxe and Roll. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackman here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure to hit that like button on the YouTube side. MHS always does a great job with me uh, making sure to promote my work. And I should always promote everybody else's work as well because like, we're a team and we do a lot of great things as a unit. Uh, make sure to go check out the radio shows that have been going on. and They, they go on Monday through Friday. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, I was on Broncos Country tonight with Bree Maestas, and she was hosting for 850K Away, which is really cool. Uh, make sure to go give Bree Maestas a follow on there. She does the Let's Talk Broncos podcast, which also appears on the MHS channel. So make sure to go give that a look ahead of the NFL draft later this month. All right, let's react to Nuggets practice. I pulled together some quotes. I pulled together some takes. Most importantly for Denver from this practice, I was curious to see what the intensity was going to be like. I had heard that this was going to be a practice where Denver went hard, where they were doing their best to go hard and be very physical. Uh, this was going to be one where I, I think yesterday they did, like I think Mike Malone said, player development stuff. And I think the PD guys did a great job with uh, with all of the players or as many players as came in. But this one was going to be about going live. This one was going to be about five on five, getting up and down, getting physically and mentally prepared for the playoffs. And it's really interesting to see Denver do that on this Wednesday. They probably won't do it that much for the rest of this week. They just want to do it the one time. Maybe they'll do it again on Friday, but I wouldn't expect them to go hard consistently for a bunch of games or for a bunch of days. They are getting ready for the playoffs in the best way that they can. And I think that they just have to raise their level enough and make sure that it's going to be at that proper level of intensity. But spoke to Jamal Murray today, spoke to Aaron Gordon today, spoke to Michael Malone today, 
and all three were in pretty good moods. Definitely happy to be back out there. I think the the buzz in the building was very much a uh, getting ready for the first day of school once again, getting ready for like almost like a reunion in some ways where you're getting back together with the group. You know what's at stake, but there's no doubt that this team is ready after what I saw today. Uh, Jamal Murray said his thumb was a little sore, but he was a full participant in practice today. He is thinking about it. He is still thinking about it. When when he catches the, the ball, the thumb still gets knocked back a little bit. It's still, like, I guess he's not fully healthy in general. But for all intents and purposes, I feel pretty comfortable saying that Jamal's going to be just fine. Like, if he shoots like shit for, like, the first four games of a series, then maybe we could talk about it again. But Every time I saw him, every time we like, he, he had ice and he had a wrap on the thumb at various points. It never really bothered him as a shooter down the stretch. Like I, I didn't see any noticeable difference. He's a gamer; he knows what he's getting into. Uh, but it is something to watch. I did mention at one point that the uh, I just realized I'm off center. Uh, I did mention at one point that the Nuggets. Um, we're fully healthy heading into the playoffs. That's not technically true if you've got these nicks and bruises, but what I really should say and what everybody should really be thinking when I say that is that you're only going to get to like 98 to 95%. Like you're never going to get to 100%. And if the worst thing that Denver has to deal with during these playoffs is Jamal's thumb being a little bit sore, like he's going to be fine. Like he, he's, he's toughed out way tougher things than that. So... Not necessarily a big deal. Um, Michael Talley says, didn't Malone say it won't fully heal all playoffs? Yeah, it might not. Like maybe there's a maybe there is a uh, ligament in there that's a little bit strained uh, that he might have to get surgically repaired. Uh, but that to me, like I, I do kind of brush that off. Like, and I know people are going to be like, why do you brush that off? But uh, in, de- in general, Jamal's going to play through a wartime injury. Like he's not going to miss these playoffs. That that feels pretty pretty reasonable. Um Jamal Murray on if there's pressure to being the one seed. He said, "No. It's a blessing. We've been working hard for it. It's not pressure. It's what we've been working for." And this was kind of a common theme where there's been a lot of people that have picked against the Nuggets throughout uh these playoffs that they're not the favorite. They're actually not even the second favorites. I was just looking up some odds on a betting site that will not be named. Uh, and that, that site said that the Nuggets were the third Western Conference team with the uh, with the third best odds for getting to the finals behind the Suns and the Warriors. Uh, why the Warriors are there, I don't know. Maybe it's because they're facing the Kings and then potentially the Lakers. But like their their path to the play, to the to the finals is relatively easy compared to Denver's where they're going to have to face the Suns in all likelihood if they get through the first round. Uh, but I still think that there, there was a lot of questions on Denver being the one seed and what the actual level of pressure was for that. And Jamal says no. like That's, that's not where their minds are at. Uh, he talked about how because they worked for it, because they worked to try to get it, they felt like it was more of a reward because of the home court advantage as opposed to uh, the pressure that comes with it. Uh, you'd rather be a higher seed than a lower seed because Denver and the way that they kind of cater to their own home court advantage, I do think that it matters. Like this is, they're just a, a tangibly different team at home than they have been at the road all on the road all year. So the more home games they can play, the better they'll probably be. So, and this is the quote that I didn't actually share. Uh, I, I shared a abbreviated quotes when I asked him about this being like today being the two-year anniversary and like anniversary was the wrong word of course but two years on the dot since he tore the ACL uh, he says quote yeah I try not to have my mind on it that's the biggest thing I try not to separate my good leg and my bad leg it's two good legs I haven't thought about it till you brought it up so I appreciate it Ryan um Jabal and I have a good relationship first and foremost like he gives me shit a lot and he is willing to do that because I'm willing to take it and like, like have some good banter back and forth. And it's a, it's, I, I know a lot of people are like, they've looked at that and they 
saw that what I tweeted as the abridged version of that. And they're like, why in the world would you ask him that, Ryan? How dare you ask him that? Why would you do that? And like, guys, it is a storyline. Like the previous two seasons, Denver didn't have Jamal Murray. Part of his journey for across this year was that he's he's moved on from thinking about landing and thinking about cutting and thinking about doing various things where he's absorbing contact. And now that he hasn't thinking, now he's not thinking about it. That should be a great sign. That should be a great sign of where he's at and, and his overall progression from where the injury was at the beginning of the season and him being able to kind of test out his limits and see what he could do to now it's just like not a thing. And that's a great sign. Denver's managed it reasonably well. I do think that they've played him probably too many minutes, if I'm being honest. Like, I, I still don't think that he should have played as many minutes. I think he was at 2,200 or so on the season. Let's just look it up. Um, yeah, 2,133 on the season. I would have rather him be under 2,000, but I guess neither here nor there. I expected him to play about 60 to 65 games. He finished at 65. It was just more about the overall minute per game load and they wouldn't put on more onto his plate if they didn't believe that he could physically take it and if that wasn't good for him. Uh, because Denver, of course, like their their goal has always been championship and they want Jamal to be in the best place he can be. So I think that he's in a pretty good spot despite the fact that he's dealing with the thumb injury. There are things that he's going to have to work on, but his overall mentality, he's going to continue to get better. He's going to continue to progress. There is no doubt in my mind that he will continue to show more. All right. Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon called this practice uh, like an early season or training camp practice. And I understand why he said that just because everybody's kind of going harder. They, they're not showing as much caution as they would during the regular season where very little opportunity to go five on five, to go live. Those are limited opportunities in general. So it's nice for Denver to have that, uh, for them to be able to really be intense and to generate that focus and intensity, kind of manufacture it a little bit as opposed to dancing around and, and, and trying to go halfway. Uh, it's nice for Aaron Gordon to be in that place. He also did say today that he feels great physically, that this is the best, like, best he's felt since the All-Star break, basically, uh, because he wasn't feeling great after the All-Star break with the injury that he sustained to his shoulder. So good to see him put some distance from that. Good to see him get away, uh, be ready physically. And it seems like he's in a, in a pretty good spot. So that is an exciting prospect. Aaron Gordon on the pressure of the one seed. Quote, it's nice to have home court advantage. I don't think there's pressure when you're prepared. Uh, just a good quote, wanted to include it. Aaron Gordon, we got the number one for a reason. So we're just going to continue to build those habits and really focus on what got us that one seed. This was in response to a question from Jenna, uh, just on what Den like what Denver was going to do and, and and why it was so important for them to get the one seed. And like are they like because there was a lot of talk about the one seed being a lot of pressure and not necessarily being a guarantee for success, but for Aaron, it's more about, hey, do what like do what got you there. And for him, it's got to be being physical. It's got to be being intense, being aggressive, and playing off of the big fella, as he likes to call Yoke. And then quote from Aaron Gordon once again, we've set ourselves up for a beautiful opportunity and a chance to win a championship. I thought that that was an interesting one just because it was – like this is kind of out of context from like what the expectations are, what the what the actual goals should be. And like he likes where Denver is at. He likes where Denver is at because of the one seed. They'll have home court through the Western Conference playoffs, and we'll see what happens in the NBA finals if they're able to even get there. But it is a really cool thing. I think the team is starting to buy in. I think the team is now really locking into it is go time. It is focus time. This is the time where you really have to become the best versions of yourselves. And for Denver, a lot of this was just about getting through the regular season. And now they're in a pretty good place. Uh, Anto says, Denver's done the best they can all season to avoid distraction from outside media forces. Salute. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of good quotes on that. 
I think there's a lot of people who have tried to tear down Denver, have tried to tear down Jokic throughout the season. And even if it's like me, even if, as somebody like me who I have various opinions on what Denver should be doing and how they should be operating, and the team doesn't always like that, they like, but it's it's just an outside opinion to them. They're not going to focus on what I think. They're not going to focus on what uh, anybody else outside of the organization thinks, even like high, uh, like notable people from from all around the interwebs and the the basketball world. They are very much focused on being the best possible team that they can be. Um, and then Michael Malone. On the team dinner last night, Michael Malone said that this was a night to celebrate the regular season, dot, dot, dot. First number one seed in franchise history. Only team in the Western Conference to make the playoffs five years in a row, dot, dot, dot. I think before you look forward, you should reflect on what we did uh, and what we accomplished. Uh, Sorry, this is taking a little bit of time to get across the screen. Uh, what we accomplished, and take some joy in that. This was basically how Denver approached the team dinner last night. It was a talking point that Denver, like we, we knew that this was going to happen for the Nuggets last Sunday. We knew that this was going to be something that they consistently did and, and that they wanted to accomplish. Didn't really know what the purpose was going to be, but it was cool to see them celebrate this because... It was a thing that they had never done before in getting the one seed for the first time in the franchise history. This was something that Denver should be able to celebrate, that people should be willing to take pride in. And it's funny, you'll get two schools of thought on that. You'll be There will be some folks that'll be like, yeah, it is cool that Denver celebrated that success. That is great. And then you'll get some people that are like, why is Denver celebrating the regular season success? Everybody knows that the only validation you can get is from the playoffs. It's not actually true, especially if like if that's not what you believe. So that's very, very important for Denver is that they're, if they're not going to listen to the outside noise, they should build their own foundations here. And it is nice to see them take a healthy perspective on it as opposed to just very much heavily focusing on the playoff validation. But they know that the playoffs are the ultimate goal. And Michael Malone also said that too. Uh, I'll get to that quote in just a second. But this is another Michael Malone quote. Quote, we focused on us today, dot, dot, dot. Today was all about us. We played live. We competed. The energy was great. And I think our guys understand we have a chance to do something special. So it's not like they're shying away from all of these potential things. Like, they know how good they can be. They also are just trying to keep things in perspective, which is a good, healthy way to do it. And the final quote from Michael Malone that I really liked. The pressure that I, and he was talking about the pressure that he's hearing from outside forces, from the TV, from pundits, from everybody else. The pressure I, that I have is the pressure that I put on myself. You will never put any pressure on me. This is my job. This is my livelihood. I love my job. And we as an organization put pressure on ourselves to win a championship. That's what motivates us. And I think that sometimes when Malone is as intense as he is, when he's as focused on the nitty gritty, people often forget that he is still a very big picture guy, that he knows what the ultimate goal is. He knows that the team is continuing to work towards that goal. And I'm sure that he can step back and say, yeah, I probably overreacted in the Houston game when Denver like didn't play that well. And then he called the team soft, probably overreacted, probably shouldn't have said that. And I'm sure that if he could take it back, he probably would. But he's also a guy that he tries to play both sides of that fence where he'll take the long view, but he'll also know that if you're not going to accomplish all the things that you want in the long-term picture if you don't focus on the steps to get there either. So his ability to motivate the players during the regular season, he probably could have done an even better job of that this year because I do think that there was a little bit of a deaf ear that was turned on some of his words, uh, where he's just pleading and hoping that the team provides some level of defensive effort for any bit of the months of March and April. And there were a couple times where they did in big matchups. But on the day-to-day where you're trying to match up with the San Antonio Spurs and Houston Rockets, I can understand that 
the Nuggets are probably not going to really care about that that particular matchup. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Malone. If Denver does end up winning a title, he should obviously back be back. If they go to the finals, I think he should probably still be back. If they only go to the conference finals and lose in the conference finals, then that's going to be interesting. Like that's going to be something that going to have to go through. And then if you're losing to the Warriors in the conference finals, but you've gotten through the Suns, then I don't know. Losing to the Warriors for the second straight year would be tough because that would mean that you didn't really make enough adjustments and didn't have enough this time around when the plan actually came into effect. But as always, this is all contextual. This is all based off of what actually happens. And and we don't know what's happened yet. It might be that Yo controls an ankle in game five of, a, of an important series, knock on wood. And if that were to happen, are you going to blame Malone for not being able to get the team through it when Jokic goes out? I'm not. Like, I'm just not. Like, the team is entirely built around Jokic, and the Nuggets have done a great job of building around Jokic. And if Jokic isn't there, it's going to be tough. But if things go relatively well and Denver still loses, that's a little bit tough. So, We're going to have to see. We are going to have to see what ultimately happens. But in general, Nuggets practice today, lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff. Lots of good quotes to come out of it. It seems like the Nuggets are in a pretty good place as a team. They've approached us really well. They will now do a a kind of a skeleton scout of the Thunder and the Timberwolves based off of who they think is going to actually be there. Like they'll, They'll go through each of their sets. They'll basically have two different game plans, and then they'll choose the game plan against the team that they actually face in the playoffs. So should be fascinating. But in the end, let's take a break now. When we come back, we are going to answer three separate questions. Uh, The chat is going to answer three separate questions on Denver's abilities in the playoffs. We'll be right back. Pickaxe and Roll, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. As I mentioned, make sure to give this a like on the YouTube side. If you're listening on the audio side, thank you so much, first and foremost. But if you can, a rating, review, and subscribe on the Apple Podcasts uh, side of things, especially. Getting me up to 200 ratings would be awesome. 197, I'm so close. Please just push me right over the top. That will be such a big deal. It would be great. All right. Let's get back into this. I wanted to answer, or at least ask, three separate questions. This is how we'll wrap up the pod today. Three separate questions, and if the answer to all of those is yes, then things are going to be really good. Things are going to be really good for Nuggets and Nuggets fans. First question. Do you believe in the Nuggets' highest level? Do you believe in when the Nuggets are at their best, when they are playing well, do you believe that that group is good enough to win a championship? That basically means, like, like it's, it's pretty pretty easy to see what that means, but when Jokic is out there, when he's balling, when he's playing the best defense of his career, when Murray is bubble Murray, when Porter's hitting 45% of his threes, when Aaron Gordon's doing his thing, when KCP's filling his role, when those guys are at their best, the Nuggets are at their best too. If you believe in that group, and if you believe in the Nuggets' highest level, then things should be off to a great start in terms of Denver's actual ability to do that. We're getting some pretty consistent yeses from the chat right now. Anto says yes. Cosmic says hell yeah. Andrew Fisher says absolutely. And Justin Peters says absolutely. So we're getting a whole heck of a lot. And I think that that's a good place to start where – I think that Denver's best is just as good, if not better, than any other team. Because Jokic, when he raises his game to another level, is otherworldly. He's unbelievable. And there are things that he can do defensively in the playoffs that he doesn't even do in the regular season because he's not as willing to get into foul trouble. He's not as willing to expend excess energy. 
in the playoffs when it's do or die, you better believe that he's going to give off as much energy as he needs to to get through that moment. Next question. Do you believe in the Nuggets' ability to reach their highest level when it matters? Because that's the other thing, is that how often teams actually are capable of reaching their highest level is a really big deal. Because some teams can't really do it all that often. I think when you think about those teams, I think about the Clippers. I think about that group where the best version of that team was world-beating, was title favorite level. And they weren't able to reach that highest level against Denver in the bubble. They weren't able to reach that highest level pretty much any time over the course of these last three, four years. And because they couldn't reach it, the only times where they really could was when Terrence Mann was going off against Rudy Gobert in the Western Conference semifinals. And then that broke up the Utah. Actually, that didn't break up the Utah Jazz. That's crazy that they didn't break up that team at that point. Uh, But either way, like Utah, that 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 series was the time where the Clippers really reached their highest level. The Utah Jazz actually are a pretty good example of themselves. At their highest levels, they were a 60-win one seed. Like, they were really, really good. Phoenix, really great when they're at their highest levels, but they didn't really reach that in the playoffs last year and and obviously went home very early or earlier because of it. I think in general that Denver's ability to reach the highest level is so important because if they can get to that point that I talked about, then they're going to find, if they can find that relatively consistently, they're going to have an advantage in a lot of these matchups because if their highest level is better than any other team's highest level, and if they get there more frequently, then it gives them such a leg up in those moments. I think in general, if Denver can get to those points more consistently than other teams, then they have a great shot, a great, great shot to win the finals. And that's like even over the teams in the East that I think a lot of people have projected over the Nuggets. I think that Denver's top level is actually higher than the Bucks. I think that it's higher than the Celtics. Because Denver, like they can always generate a great shot. And when they are locked in on the defensive end, they can absolutely lock in on the defensive end. I was I was very curious about this number. During this during this season, Denver played 23 games. Only 23, not a ton of games, but they t- they played 23 against teams with a top 10 point differential on cleaning the glass. The Nuggets have the highest win percentage among every team in those situations. They're 14 and 9. Next best record was Boston at 15 and 10. Beyond that, Milwaukee at 14 and 10. Then Memphis and New York were tied. Actually, okay, so it's Memphis, New York, Philly, Golden State. All three of those teams were tied at 13 and 12. But Denver was able to get to that level more consistently. They had a top four point differential against teams that have a top 10 point differential in the NBA. Denver had the fifth ranked offense and the 10th ranked defense in those games. So they were able to find opportunities to win in those moments. And to me, that's a really, really important piece of this. Is that can you raise your game to the highest level more often than your opponents and be there more consistently? I think that that is a big deal. Finally, do you believe in the Nuggets' ability to survive in the games when they don't reach their highest level? When Denver isn't as locked in defensively, when Denver isn't getting as many great shots, when Jokic isn't otherworldly, when Murray is a little bit slower, does Denver have enough ability to survive in those games? When they play a C-plus game against a good team, they're usually not good enough. They've had these moments. They had a moment early on in the season against Boston where they didn't show up and, and they weren't good enough against the Celtics then. Against Philly, I thought they played an A-plus game for two and a half quarters. And then the tide flipped and they couldn't recover. And they actually ended up playing like a B-minus, C-plus game in that game. Still probably should have won it, if we're being honest, but... Denver wasn't able to sustain. 
at the highest level. There are other examples of that. There are other examples of when Denver doesn't play their best, they lose. There are some examples where when they don't play their best, they win. Like There are some times where they don't have to be perfect in order to be great. Like I'm trying to think back to some games, but the fact that I'm having to think about it, and the fact that I'm having to think about various games on their schedule where, yeah, they weren't at their best, but they still got it done. Um, Against top 10 teams. Let me just look through their schedule and peruse that real quick. Um, the Grizzlies, I mean, they, they weren't at their best against the Grizzlies when they didn't have Murray and Porter, but they held the Grizzlies to 91 points in that game. That was great. They weren't at their best when they faced the Phoenix Suns without Devin Booker, but they won that game on Christmas, and that was a really good win. They certainly can win games, but believing in their highest level is to, or believing in their ability to do it when they don't reach their highest level, I think is a really important piece of this because teams like Boston, teams like Milwaukee, when they play a C-plus game, they're good enough because of their overall talent level and because of their defense. Their defense is going to get it through. Uh, there are teams, especially in the Eastern Conference, that can make that up that can make up that margin. Teams in the Western Conference, they have to be at their best, at least a little bit more, uh, because the offense in the West is just so much better in general than the offenses in the East, where you've got Sacramento, Golden State, Denver, Phoenix, going to have a lot of high-flying, high-powered offenses, and then you also have the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, So going to be interesting to see whether Denver can reach that level or whether how often they actually do. But there are going to be times where when Jokic isn't on the court, when Murray and Porter are out there and Jokic isn't out there where Denver's trying to get to that level and they're just not able to sustain it, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be an issue. So if Denver can survive those moments and then get back to the points where they play really well, they've got a great chance. They do. Uh, It's the minimizing of those times where they don't reach the highest level. They've got to be playing their best. Everybody knows that you've got to be playing your best in the playoffs. Like That's always going to be a thing. But if you don't play your best, can Denver still survive? Can they win a game four when they're down 2-1 against the Suns when it gets ugly as hell? I don't know. And so because I don't know, I can't really fully answer this thing. But if the answer to all three of those questions is yes then you should believe in the Nuggets to come out of the West. Like, there's no doubt if you believe in that. Do you believe in the Nuggets' highest level? Do you believe in the Nuggets' ability to reach their highest level when it matters? Do you believe in the Nuggets' ability to survive in games where they don't reach their highest level? If the answer to all of those is yes, then you should believe in Denver. If it's not, or if you have a couple yeses and a no, a couple no's and then a yes, then obviously that that leaves room for doubt. There's no doubt in my mind that another team could upset Denver. And so I can't just sit here and fully say, yeah, that's absolutely, they're going to be perfectly fine. Uh, But I am going to say, and I'm going to take this stance now, after having seen practice today, after having seen just kind of where the team is at, what the team's mentality is, I am going to, uh, actually, I almost made a prediction. That would have been horrible. I'm just just thinking about that. I'm thinking that through in my head. Me, the reverse jinx guy. I almost made a prediction on the show, and that would have been a really bad idea. So no predictions. No predictions from me. If you believe in the Nuggets' ability and all of those things, then you think that Denver can get through it. I think that Denver can get through it. I think that they can. So going to just... Stick with that. That's the that's the most important thing. But look, we're going to have to see. We're going to have to see what it looks like uh, if Denver gets through the first round. We don't even know if Phoenix is getting through the first round. Maybe it's the Clippers. Maybe the Warriors actually lose to the Kings like a sixth seed should. Maybe the Lakers lose to the Memphis Grizzlies. And then Denver and three other top seeds are vying it out in the second round of the playoffs. So. Should be very interesting to see how it goes, but I'm looking forward to it. If you are interested, and and Rich brings it up here, um, he talks about the rotation here. If you are interested in rotation conversations, I did a whole bunch of rotation talk 
on the podcast yesterday with a whole bunch of different combinations. Uh, make sure to go check that out. But I'm looking forward to this entire time. I think that this is going to be a lot of fun. Justin Peters asks, which single player is the biggest X factor for these playoffs? For these playoffs, is it Nuggets related or is it Denver or uh, NBA related? I think it's MPJ. Because if MPJ can be a 20-point-per-game guy, if he can be that consistent of a third option for Denver, where you know that Murray's going to bring it, you know that Jokic is going to bring it, is MPJ going to bring it and be that consistent option every single night? Maybe. And if so, then Denver's going to have a great time. Uh, If not, and if he gets taken advantage of defensively, and if Denver can't keep him on the court, it's going to be an issue. So we will see. We'll see what what actually happens. But for now, I think that is going to do it on this show. Michael, can you hit that outro music for me? Um, That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Always enjoy doing the late night shows, although I do think that the schedule is going to be a little bit screwy over the course of these next couple couple weeks, couple months. Uh, with Denver always being in the late window, I'm probably going to have to do some shows post-game in the mornings, uh, in the following mornings. So make sure to watch out for that. Also, Weekends of Swiper will be Saturday. Make sure to tune into that one for a preview of this first round series against either the Thunder or the Timberwolves. Should be fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, we'll talk to you guys, let's say tomorrow. Tomorrow should be good. See ya.